This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. I want to talk about confidence. You know, there's a, it, we know what confidence feels like, and when we have it, man, it's wonderful. It makes us feel safe. It makes us feel secure. It makes us feel strong. It makes us feel successful. Confidence is a wonderful thing. And when we have it, we feel like we're on top of the world, but when things go badly and we begin to lose confidence, things start falling apart. It can be devastating. You know, maybe as you think about your life and and you're here this morning, maybe your relationships aren't going that good. Maybe you're struggling with uh, something going on in your life. Maybe your family is in turmoil. Maybe your children are suffering somehow. Maybe your health isn't that great and you're suffering health declines. Maybe your job's not going that well. Work isn't, isn't going that good. Maybe your finances seem dire and you're not sure how you're going you're gonna to make it. Maybe you look at your life and you think, my life's just not going anywhere. Maybe you feel worthless. Maybe you feel like you don't belong anywhere, or you don't matter to anyone, or you don't have value. Maybe you look at your life and you just wish things could be different. Maybe your heart is broken for some reason. Perhaps all of the craziness of this world has you upset. You're sad or you're upset because of politics. Maybe you have a fear that's gripping your life. Maybe you're afraid of someone or something that's going on in your life. You know, maybe when we look at these problems, maybe it's our own fault. Because of sin, it could be. Or it could be something outside of our control. External circumstances, things come up that aren't our fault. Health problems are not our fault that come up. Things happen. Work things happen. Layoffs happen. There's external reasons for things going wrong in our lives, but sometimes there's internal reasons. But either way, when we look at the problems that we face, they're stressful, they're painful, and they shatter our confidence. It makes us feel like we're un- unsteady. It makes us feel like the, what we're standing on is we're sh- on shaky ground, and we're not sure, and we're not certain about life and what things are going to happen. And when we lose that sense of confidence, it makes us feel like failures, and it really makes life miserable. But imagine what it would feel like to completely let go of your fear. Wouldn't that be amazing? To completely let go of your worry. To maybe to completely let go of your failures. You know, Paul had a certain mentality when he talks about in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? All these things are, are, are external reasons. Are external reasons going to separate you from the love of God? Whether you're being persecuted, whether you're going through some hard time, famines, nakedness, peril, you're in danger somehow. Is that going to separate you from the love of Christ? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. And he says, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. That word means to have, you are sure. He was confident. He was fully confident. Full assurance. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul looked around at at life, and he had a certain type of confidence that gave him a, that deeply influenced the way he lived and gave him a certain way to view the circumstances in his life. And he said, whether it's internal or external, nothing is going to hold him back. There's no external circumstance, and there's no spiritual circumstance that's going to cause him to be separated from the love of God. And he was persuaded He was so sure about this, it changed the way he lived his life. He had what I'm going to call godly confidence. 
Because confidence is one thing, but we need godly confidence. That's what we need. So how can we produce this confidence in our lives so that we, like Paul, can look at the circumstances of life and be persuaded that things are going to be okay? Be persuaded that, that we can move on in life, that we can grow past our failures, that we can help other people, that we can love people like we should, that, that we're safe in God. How can we have that kind of boldness and courage uh, to meet all of life's challenges courageously and live in godliness before our Lord? That's the question that I want to examine this morning. How can we produce this faith and this kind of persuasion in our lives? So I think where we have to start is to understanding what is godly confidence in the first place. We have to start from a place of proper understanding. There are certain unchangeable truths that are the foundation of all of this concept, and, and we have to start there first. And the very beginning of that, it, it, we're going to imagine this as, as a layer of foundations stacked on top of each other. And the very first, the, the, the main structure that sits underneath every single thing is God. It says in Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth of the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Our God is a, a God who is an eternal being, from everlasting to everlasting. He inhabits eternity. The Bible even tells us in, in Isaiah 57, it, He is a God that inhabits eternity. That's His nature. He is eternal. And He is the one that has created and produced all things. And this God is unchanging. He is constant. He is a steady, secure, sure place of refuge, of safety, of comfort, of hope, of all these things, and that will never, ever change. It does not matter what's happening in our world. It does not matter what people are telling you about who God is and the lies they try to tell about God and the ways they try to paint God or maybe the way you start to think about God because life isn't going so well. And we have a tendency to maybe look at God in a different way and blame Him for the problems in our life, but it's not God's fault. He is constant and unchanging. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 18. It says, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show to the heirs of the promise the immutability, that means unchanging, the immutability of His counsel. Not only did He make a promise, but He confirmed it by an oath. He entered into a covenant. His promise is good enough when He says, I'm going to do this. When he said this to, to the fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he said, I am going to do this. That was sure enough, but he entered into a covenant with Abraham and, and bound himself with an oath so that by two immutable things, not only his, his word of promise, but by the oath, he says, by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Do you see these things? It is constant. It is unchanging. God's nature is unchanging. And when He makes a promise to us, when He gives us His Word, when He delivers the instructions, His intentions and His goals and His desires are unchanging. And He will always be there for us as a place of consolation so that we can have strong consolation. That word, again, related to this concept of having godly confidence. We can be sure about it. We can be sure about the scriptures. We can be sure about God. And we, we flee to, as we look at God as a place of refuge for us because it's a safe place for us to be in God and lay hold upon hope that is set before us. These, these things are all interconnected. The next thing we need to understand about God is that the Word is God. In John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The Word is God. That's something, it's hard for us to really fully comprehend and wrap our minds around how the Word of God became flesh and came and dwelt among us, but that's what it says in verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And, and the writer says, They beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh, and that was Jesus. He is the Word in bodily form, and, and He is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. He is the complete essence and nature of the Word in human form, in, in a body like ours. This is the God we serve, and that's the foundation of all things. God is eternal, He is unchanging, and He is the Word. And, and the Word that we have now written to us, it is the, the precepts and the, and the knowledge 
and the, the hope that we derive from this, it is God, and accompanied with that are eyewitness accounts. See what John says there? We beheld his glory. They were eyewitnesses to the account. So when we hold the New Testament in your hands, when we read through the New Testament, when we study these precepts, when we study these principles that shape our lives and we're called to be transformed in Christ, this is being told to us by people who witness the glory of Christ for themselves with their very own eyes. In fact, Peter says this in 2 Peter 2, uh, verses 1, or 2 Peter uh, 1, verses 16 through 21. So this is the next block that we'll lay on top of this foundation of God, the eternal, unchanging God, and it is certain, and He is certain, and on top of that rests the Word which is the eyewitness account that we receive. Peter says, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. This isn't made up stories just to make you feel good. This isn't made up stories just to, to try to get us to, to do something that's good and right and to live a moral life. Sometimes I've heard that kind of argument. Oh, the Bible's just a bunch of good stories to help you live morally. No, it's not. It's much more than that. And it's not just some fictional story, folks. He says... We have not followed cunningly devised fables. This isn't just some intricate, elaborate story that they made up. He says, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's not a made-up story, but we are eyewitnesses of his majesty, Peter says. They saw it and for himself. Peter saw with his own eyes and walked and heard the words of Christ and dwelt with him and was rebuked by Christ and experienced all of the things in, in his life as he traveled with Christ, and he saw it for himself. The transfiguration he even discusses here in, in the verses between these sections that we're, that we're skipping around here to verse 20. He discusses the transfiguration uh, of Jesus on the mount when he takes uh, Peter and John up there, and, and, and they see Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and God says, listen to my son, and it was an a, a illustration that God was giving to them to show them that the Old Testament was being done away with and the New Testament was being ushered in through Christ. And so he says, now hear my son. And Peter says, we saw it for ourselves. And, and what Peter saw was undeniable proof. He is a reliable eyewitness to the glory and the majesty of Christ. In verse 20, he says this, knowing, knowing this, not only is it good enough that Peter is a reliable eyewitness, he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private inter interpretation. They didn't make this up out of their own mind and, and, and come up with these ideas out of, their own, uh, out of their own mind and out of their own desires. He says, for, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So not only are the things written reliable eyewitness accounts from the men who, who walked and heard and saw and handled Jesus and saw him and dwelt with him and were empowered by him and produced miracles through the power that he gave them, not only... If, if that's not good enough, Peter says we have a more certain and more sure word of prophecy, understanding that God, they are backed by the Holy Spirit. And that should give us utmost confidence in the words that we read when we come to the Holy Scriptures. Because they weren't speaking of their own desires, but they were speaking as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So not only are they reliable eyewitnesses, they're backed by God Himself, and so the word is, is doubly sure that they're giving us when we read these accounts. John said the same thing. First John, we read there in, in John chapter 1 where he said, we have beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. In First John, he elaborates even a little more. And he says in, in, there in verse 1 through 3, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. He's talking about Jesus. And he says, For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested to us. And, and that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see how these things are interconnected? The foundation is God and he is the source of all things, the eternal creator. And John says, we rest upon this knowledge. We have fellowship with him. It is stacked on top of each other. So the word that they delivered to us is certain because it stands on a certain foundation. They saw it for themselves. They heard it for themselves. He says, this is the word of life that God showed us, and now we're showing it to you. 
we are eyewitnesses and now we're showing it to you. So they're writing these letters to the, to the, to the churches there in their day and they're saying, look, this is all the stuff that we saw for ourselves and we're giving it to you now so that you can also be a part of this. And we can be certain about that. We can have certainty about what is written in the scriptures because God is the foundation. And, and the word is where faith is derived. And I want to talk a moment about faith because that's the next block as we think about how these blocks are stacked up. There's God, the word, and then faith is stacked up on top of these things. And we've already established, I think we could stop right there and establish the foundation is sure. It is certain. It is unchanging. But we can go further and, and add faith on top of that. Faith comes from the Word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 said, says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And, and because the Word is God, we know that what we're hearing, faith comes from reliable information. That's what real faith is. There's a lot of confusing about ideas about what faith is because we hear all kinds of, of different messages and people say and use that word and we kind of throw that term around loosely and we interchange it with, with all kinds of ideas and concepts and I think it gets confusing when we hear about faith. We have, we have confusing ideas about it. You know, faith is not to believe in something that we know is not true. That's not faith. Faith is not something that is subjective. It's not going to change. It's not going to be different, determined on, on how we feel or our desires. It doesn't change. In fact, Paul said there is one faith. Ephesians chapter 4, he says one faith. It is an unchanging thing. The scripture is very specific when it talks about faith and the faith that we ought to have. And the other thing, faith is not an emotion. It's not a feeling that we feel. And it's not determined by our emotions. And faith is not blind. That's something that we hear uh, a lot thrown around in society and in, and in, in all these uh, denominational circles. They say, you know, just have blind faith in God. Well, that's not something. Blind faith means that we remove our intellect and we remove reason from the things that we do and the actions that we take. But that's not what God expects, and that's never what the Scripture tells us to do. So blind faith, it is not something that we remove our intellect and reason to just go along with for no reason. God gives us certainty so that we know for sure what we're doing and why we're doing it. And, so, and the Bible actually tells us what faith really is. In, in if, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see, faith is evidence. For by it the elders obtained good report, that through faith we understand the worlds were made, or were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen are not made of, of things which do appear. We know what evidence is. It's used in courts all the time to prove someone's innocence or, or prove someone's guilt. Evidence supports a case, and it makes a case, and it, it, is a, it is a body of information and facts that points to a certain conclusion, and that's exactly what the Word of God is. It's evidence, and faith is evidence. It is evidence about who God is, that He is who He says He is, and He will do what He says He will do, and it's a historical and eyewitness account of the mighty power of God that, that has been uh, witnessed throughout all of time, that we call the Holy Scriptures. That's what we hold in our hands. And it is proof that when we examine it carefully, it points to the source himself. And it shows us that there is a greater spiritual reality that we in our physical form are incapable of seeing right now. So yes, there's things happening that we don't see with our, our physical nature because we cannot see them. But the Scriptures point to that spiritual reality. There's something greater happening and we're just a small part of that. And this is what it means when the Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, 5, verse 7, Paul said, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And sometimes that's taken to mean that, well, we don't get it, and we're never going to understand it. We just need to go along with it and just be okay with it. Well, you know, sometimes, sometimes there, are, there are absolutely, there's difficult things to comprehend and to wrap our minds around. But we can trust the source based on the other things that the scriptures teach us, and we can, we can put together a case based on what the scriptures teach to have confidence in what it is that we're supposed to believe. But what this means is exactly what is being said in Hebrews chapter uh, 1, or 11 there, verse 1, that although we cannot see God now, 
with our physical eyes. That word sight is a Greek word that means appearance or shape or form. We're not seeing or experiencing the, the spiritual reality in the moment now as, as we are. But he says we can confidently trust that God is who he says he is based on the evidence given to us in the scriptures. We walk by faith. We walk by the evidence that has been given to us that God is who he says he is. That's what real faith is. Okay. Now let's stack on to that foundation again and put more things on top there. The last thing as we think about this, this structure of this very strong foundation that we have and the reason that we can be sure and confident in this life is hope. Rest upon faith, which rests upon the word, which rests upon God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Remember, it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. That word substance means assurance. And, and it's related to a concept of, think about a very strong foundation and hope sets upon that foundation, and it is sure. And so the hope we have is unchanging. The hope we have that we're looking forward to is unchanging because it is based upon evidence that tells us that God is unchanging. And then we go through and we read about the nature of this God through the word that was given to us as eyewitness accounts that tells us that God is eternal and unchanging and is going to do and, and is everything he says he is and is going to do everything he says he's going to do. And so God is the ultimate foundation, the word, then faith, and then hope. The great I am is the source of all things. And because of that, we know that the word is sure. And then faith rests upon those facts, and then hope upon that faith. I just want to repeat that uh, over and over again. But, but it, it kind of looks this way, if you want to visualize it. God, the word, faith, and then hope. Now, interestingly, hope is deeply connected and attached to the very fact that there is an eternal being that is God. These are all stacked upon each other and deeply connected, and so that this foundation will be sure and unmovable, and hope is connected to the source. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 through 19, we read this. It says, When God, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show, he wanted to prove to the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, he confirmed it with an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay upon the hope that is set before us. Now, notice in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 through 19, there at the end, in verse 19, it says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and, and which entereth into that within the veil. Now, this is language that is alluding to the Old Testament practice of the, the tabernacle. They would have it separated. The first room that they would enter in this priest to do their service to God was called the holy place. And then there was a very thick uh, veil that separated off the holy place from this other room, wherein the Ark of the Covenant was, where God would come and His presence would fill that room. That was called the most holy place. And the picture we get here that the writer is trying to convince us of and show us through the proof of the scriptures is that our hope that we have in God, the fact that he is unchangeable, the fact that he gives us a sure word and we can have strong consolation, that hope that we have is an anchor of our soul. And not only is it an anchor, think about what an anchor does. It keeps us grounded. It keeps us unmovable. It secures us. Think about a ship on rough waters. They drop their anchors so that they can stay in place and endure and not be tossed and not be taken away and not, not die out there on the waters and not be destroyed. He says, our hope is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. And guess what? It enters into that which is within the veil. He's saying it's going beyond the veil into the holy of holies, and our hope is attached. The anchor uh, of our soul is attached to the holy of holies. And that's why I have this anchor coming down from the top, from hope all the way down here to God. It is attached securely and fashioned uh, securely to God. And so then hope is attached to the spiritual reality. And like that anchor, it secures us. It keeps us in place. It grounds us in the, in the true spiritual reality that we cannot see with our physical eyes yet, but we know and can have confidence in because of the evidence of the scriptures. This is godly confidence. It's a reasonable expectation 
based on the certainty about the truth of who God is and what he has said and what he has done. That's the, that's, that is where we have to start. And we have to be sure about these things and know these things and understand that these are constant and unchanging truths. It does not matter what's happening in life. It does not matter how bad things get. It does not matter how mean people are. It doesn't matter how many times we fail. These are constant and unchanging truths. So we have to start from that place. And that's non-negotiable. It is non-negotiable if we want to have godly confidence. If we want to have strong faith in God. It is, it, is, it is not negotiable. So how do we produce this sense? Paul said, through all of these things, I am persuaded that I will not be separated. How can we have that type of persuasion and produce an increase in godly confidence? Well, it comes from knowing the source. Knowing the originator of our faith and our hope. The reason that we have to hope. Knowing more about that. Imagine that you were, uh, you were in construction and you're building a house and you had zero prior experience or knowledge about construction at all. And it was all on you to, to make this, this house happen and build this house. I don't think you could approach that task very confidently. I would be scared to death. I have, I have no clue when it comes to building a house where to even start. I wouldn't have confidence going into that, into that job, doing that task. And, and if I were in the middle of that task, I would have zero confidence understanding what to do next. I would be walking with uncertainty. So what would help me? Well, to learn about construction, to get experience, to work on it, to try it, to learn as much as I can and to put these things in place and to practice these things. Knowing and understanding the, the source of the information and the information itself is going to help me to grow in my confidence in this task. The same thing is true about our relationship with God. If you want to have godly confidence, you have to know the source intimately and begin to know and, and practice and apply these things in your life. But it must start with knowing God more. You know, Psalms is a, is a beautiful collection of, of songs and prayers made by King David and and, and there are others included in there uh, by other authors, but King David, it is, it is beautiful and wonderful, and the tremendous amount of, of prayers, heartfelt prayers that he made to God in, in his most uncertain times. And in Psalm chapter 27, he speaks about when everything going wrong, his enemies are against him, all of these things are stacked up, and he's in the midst of this horrible, difficult, stressful trial. He says, you know what, even though all this is true, I have confidence. How? Psalm 27, verses 4 through 5. He says, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. From the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. That phrase means to have confidence. Be certain. Walk with assurance. Be of good courage, he says, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. David knew he could endure all of the things that were going on around him because he made it his priority to inquire, to go to the house of the Lord, to inquire at the temple of the Lord, to understand and learn more about who God is. And the more he learned and understood about God, the more he realized how insignificant his enemies and his problems were compared to the eternal God. And he says, I go into this place and I learn about God. And as, I, as he's growing closer to God, he says, God will protect me. In the secret of the tabernacle, will he hide me? And he sets me upon a rock. He sets me upon a firm, solid foundation so that I will not be moved because he knew what his foundation was. And he says, be of good courage. Uh, and so trust in God and confidence in his might provided the confidence that David needed in life to continually learn and obey God. It's all this interconnected cycle. And if you have one part missing or 
or you're, you're, you're doing one part inaccurately, it's going to make the whole thing not work. Okay? All these things work together. He says, even when his enemies were surrounding him, and he seemed outnumbered, and even in that passage, he talks about how his family might have forsaken him, or maybe false, false witnesses were brought against him. He knew with certainty that God was his refuge and that God was a solid foundation on which he stood. And so be of good courage in the Lord is, is the first thing, and understand and grow in your relationship with God. Okay? Then we have to apply that knowledge. It's not good enough to just know about God. We have to actually do something with that information. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this, in, beginning in verse 24, Whosoever therefore heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. Sounds very similar to the language that David was using, right? He's going to the temple, he's inquiring about God, and in the temple of the Lord, and he knew that God would set him on a rock exactly what Jesus is saying. If you hear and listen and heed the commandments of God, and you're learning about him, your life will be being built, will, will, will be being built on, a, on a foundation, a rock, he says. Uh, and the rains descend, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and doeth them not, he says, will be likened to a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. You see the contrast that Jesus gives us here? When we do what God wants us to do and we heed the commandments, our life is secure, and we're standing on a firm platform. We're not on shaky ground if we're doing what we ought to do in God and applying that knowledge. But if we don't, then things aren't going to go so well. And we know when they don't. We know when we're not doing what we ought to do. Uh, you know, I have those moments all the time. I know there's things I shouldn't, you know, I, that, I, that I ought to be doing that maybe I'm not doing, and so then that makes me, makes me lose confidence, and then because I don't do those things, I, I keep going on in that, and so then I lose more confidence, and then I lose more confidence, and then I'm just totally in this, in this place. It's just a bad downward spiral. But we take the steps and do the things we need to, do what's right, it gives us confidence and to do more and more and more and more. And our life will be built on a firm foundation, Jesus says. And, and look at the, the, when he gives us this comparison of the person who did, heard and did, and the person who listened or heard God's word and did not do, the trials they endured were the same. The rains fell, the floods came, the wind beat upon that house. And, the, and they were both going through the storms. So when we look at the instruction that God gives us, He wants you to be certain and sure that it doesn't matter what you're going through, that, that if you place your trust in Him and make Him your confidence, the things that you're going to experience in life anyway are going to be better. Uh, you're going to have a better outcome, rather, and you'll be able to actually endure the things that life throws your way. Because if you don't set your life on the foundation of God's Word and, and trust Him as the source of all things and and know the word and have proper actual biblical faith and then have hope that is produced by that you're going to go through trials but they're not going to be the outcome is not going to, to be as good great was the fall of it he says of that house I hope that's making sense and, and so we must know God we must apply that knowledge and build our house and we have to keep on trusting in the right source it's easy to get persuaded to do something else and look somewhere else and, and if we think about this, these columns that we've stacked up, God, the Word, faith, and hope, we're setting on top of that, and sometimes we kind of shift over to this other thing, and we're like, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set on this other platform over here. And guess what? It's just a weak, it's a, it's a weak rickety old platform that is not going to be as solid as the, as the rock that we stand upon if we put our hope and trust in God. Psalm 118, verse 9, gives us comparisons. It says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Psalm 46, verses 6 through 7. It says that they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for, for him. Psalm 78, verses 7 through 8 says... He, he speaks about the children of Israel and the foolishness they, that they had in turning away from their God. And he says, God gave instructions so that you will continually perpetuate these commandments from generation to generation to generation. Teach your children 
Why? So that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. You see that? How their hope is connected to the evidence they have of the works of God and His commandments, that they might be uh, that, but, that they might not be as their fathers, stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. They departed from God. If we imagine these two platforms, they, they walked over here from the sure platform and they went over to this rickety old platform that was not as good. There's no human. There's no possession. There's no other way that is going to give us the, the security and the confidence to handle the situations that come up in this life. That's what the Bible is trying to communicate to you and I. But God is the sure foundation that is unchanging and He's always there. Keep trusting in the right source. Don't put your confidence in the wrong source. Make your heart steadfast with God. So we have to constantly to work. We have to constantly work to learn the Word of God and not forget or else we will not be steadfast. And if we're not steadfast, we're building our house on a sand, on a, on a foundation of sand. If we're not steadfast, think about this when we, when we talked about God, the immutable qualities of God. He says we have run to God for refuge and put our hope and our confidence in Him. And if we depart from God and our heart is not steadfast, it's like going outside of this mighty, secure fortress. We're going outside of the refuge. We're wandering out to a place of danger. And we're putting our soul at risk. Grave risk. when we don't do what God asks us to do. So, that is how we can build up godly confidence. Know God. Know His commandments. Follow and obey His commandments. And trust in the right source. Don't lose focus on, on things. It's easy to, to lose focus in this life. So, I want to I finish up here by talking about what will godly confidence do for you. Because we've talked about imagining if our life was different and we could handle all these problems, and we were persuaded like Paul and had that level of confidence. But we can. Absolutely we can. Um, and we should. That's the other thing. We absolutely should. So what will this do for you? What are the outcomes of this kind of faith and this kind of hope and this kind of security knowing that we rest on this firm foundation? Well, it's going to cause you to change your actions. It will cause you to, to live differently and to do differently and to actually uh, to take action, he says. You know, because faith is evidence. That evidence uh, and, and confidence in that proof is going to influence, influence us deeply in the situations that we face. And it produces a boldness and a certainty about our lives and about our actions. Second Corinthians four thirteen through fourteen. Paul said this: We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore I have spoken. He says, "We believe, and therefore we speak." Their belief wasn't just their their belief rested on a sure foundation. He says, in verse fourteen, knowing. I hope that you're able to see what I'm seeing here with, with how these things are all stacked together and connected. The fact that Paul knew, what did he know? He says that he which raised up the, uh, Jesus, the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. He knows that because God told him so and proved it to him by the resurrection of Christ and he saw Christ, the resurrected Christ for himself. He was an eyewitness of the glory and the majesty of Christ. He knew, and that produced belief. Belief is trusting in the evidence that we've been given. We've been given because we know it's true, and it, is, and it leads us to that conclusion that it is true, and it is pointing to these greater spiritual realities. He says he knew, and he says, I believed, therefore I spoke. You see, knowing caused him to believe, which caused him to act. So proper faith is always going to cause us to act, and he says it's going to... I believe, therefore, I spoke. So, so it's going to cause you to take action. It's going to cause you to live boldly. It's going to cause you to, to live with confidence and to speak with confidence and to, and to live life differently and to approach life differently with confidence. 
It's going to cause you to live a godly life. Knowing, as you know and learn and, and, and see the things of godliness and say, oh, we're not supposed to do that, and I shouldn't live that way, and I shouldn't think this way. It's going to give us confidence to move forward, changing our lives, and not be uncertain about the things that we're doing. If we're persuaded about the evidence, we're going to continually learn and act upon the commandments with confidence. There's a Greek word here that, that we're going to reference in these two next verses that means frankness, boldness, bluntness. You think about the people who are bold and they're blunt. They're sure and they're confident about what they're saying. And when we're confident about the word of God, it makes us certain in our actions and our speech. 1 John 3, verses 18 through 22, it says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue. Don't just say that you, you love. But he says, in deed and in truth, in your actions, in your actions, in deed and in truth, he says, show your love. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Think about that, verse 20, for a second. If your heart is already condemning you, because we know deep down inside we're not doing the things we ought to do and not loving indeed and truth and not walking in his commandments, God's greater than our hearts. So if we know it, God knows it. God surely knows it. And if our heart condemns us, there's a problem. He goes on, verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You see that? If we are certain about these things and is causing us to live a certain way and we are trusting in the source and we are changing our lives according to his will, it is going to give us confidence toward God. And we will stand assured in our hearts before God, knowing that we've worked to do his commandments and keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And so when the day of judgment comes, we're not going to have fear. And we can look forward to that day with great anticipation and with joy, not with fear and trembling because my life's not right and I hope Jesus doesn't come back. No? We know I'm doing my best to serve God, I'm covered by his blood, and I'm working each day to change my life to be more like Christ. And we can have confidence in that. First John uh, 2, verse 20, he says, Now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If we do what we ought to be doing, there's no reason for us to be ashamed when Jesus returns. We will have confidence. So godly confidence is going to give you the assurance of living a good, godly life and give you assurance before God in the day of judgment. And it will also impact the influence you have on others. Think about this. The two greatest principles that we have in the scriptures are to love God and to love fellow man. Love our neighbor as we would love ourselves. And if we have the appropriate godly confidence built upon the source that is God, who gave us the word, that produces our faith, that gives us our hope, not only is it going to cause you to live a godly and pleasing life because you love God, it's going to cause you to influence and love the people around you, our brothers and sisters and, the, and your fellow man. It's going to cause you to love other people, and it's going to make you have a huge impact on the lives of others. And so think about this. If your life is not right, it is not going to, you're not going to be that influential to the people around you. But if you are and you have confidence in that because of the scriptures, then we'll be able to help other people. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he that is faithful is promised, or for, for he that is, excuse me, for he is faithful that promised. Again, referencing that sure foundation, the unchangeable foundation of God. He says, God is faithful and he's not going to change, and therefore we should have faith and not change and not waver in that. And, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I hope you see how these things are, are deeply interconnected. If we trust God who is the sure foundation, it is going to give us full assurance and confidence and boldness to act and speak in godliness and live in godliness, and it's going to cause us to want to love our brothers and sisters in Christ and exhort them and provoke them to love and to good works. And we can do that with confidence. So when we come to somebody and say, hey, you know what? I, I noticed this problem. And, and if somebody came to you and said that, 
and they back it up by saying, look, here's what the Bible says, and let's look at this other place, and they make a, a solid case based on the Scriptures and show you that maybe they reprove you, they prove to you by the Scriptures, you're reproved, that you are maybe not living right, and that there's a problem in your life that you're exhibiting, they can come to you with confidence based on the Word of God, and you can have confidence in them that they love you and are trying to help you do good. Because it's backed by the Word of God and not their own precepts and not their own suppositions and not their own ideas about your life and how it ought to be. We're all trying to help each other live the life that God wants us to live. And that is in obedience and faith to His Holy Word, building our life upon the solid foundation. And so all these things are going to cause confidence for us to help one another and influence one another. But if we're not doing that, we're not going to have much influence if we're not living right. So we have to keep doing what's right in order to maintain that godly confidence. And when we stop doing what's right, it's going to make us become weak. It's going to make us die. And then we're going to make other people weak. And we're going to make other people die. It's going to affect the people around us if we lose confidence in God. Finally, it's going to cause you, when you have godly confidence, it's going to cause you to be less afraid. Now, this is something I need because I get, I get worried and I get afraid all the time because of all the crazy political things that are happening in the world. It makes us unsure. It makes us fearful of, of other people. But you know what? Imagine, imagine if you were falsely accused of a crime. Let's say somebody came to Jesse and said, Jesse murdered this guy down the street. Well, what if you had 100% proof and certainty that you didn't do that, right? What if he knew for sure that, that A, I wasn't even in the vicinity, B, I don't even own the type of weapon that was used to murder this person. See, I have proof because I was at this place and here's all this stuff that I can... You have all this evidence that gives you confidence that you are sure and certain about what your actions were and what you did and where you were. That's going to make you approach that case very differently than if you had zero proof. You're going to have confidence. You're going to go into that, that, that trial with confidence because you know with certainty that you are innocent you would have no fear in that situation because you know that you can prove it and that is what godly confidence gives us when we have certainty about the truth of who god is and 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 we base our expectations based on who god is and what he says he will do it gives us a hundred percent certainty to walk and live in this life in this world, without fear of what anybody will do, or what anybody will say, or whatever will happen to us. 1 John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, These things have I spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Remember when, when the psalmist said, I go in and inquire in the house of the Lord, and he sets me upon the rock. He says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. That's the same phrase. Be of good cheer. Be of good courage. Why? Because He has overcome the world. And He has proven that to us through His resurrection. And it's proven to us through the eyewitness accounts of people who saw His resurrection. And because that is true, we know the source is true. We know the Word is true. We know our faith is true. We know that our hope is certain. Godly confidence gives us the courage every day to face every moment with confidence because we know that Jesus has overcome the world and he gives us confidence uh, and, and evidence, rather. He gives us evidence to look to that, sh that tells us and supports this case. It's going to cause you to be less afraid as you live and act in the world. There's no reason to be afraid. And so, brethren, I want to encourage you as we think about, about the things we've studied. Take courage. Be of good cheer. We don't have a... There's no reasonable uh, reason or, or it, there's no reasonable information that we have that tells us that these things are not true and that we should have fear and that we should be uncertain. In fact, we have a lot of evidence to the contrary. 
So I encourage you to keep learning and, and continue keeping the Word of God in order to build up this, this confidence in Him and this godly confidence. If you're not there in your life and, and you're unsure and you're walking with uncertainty and instability, well, there's a way to do that. The things we've talked about in the Scriptures. Learn and study and keep the commandments. And the more you do that, the more it's going to produce this godly confidence in you. God is the source of our life. And the only way that we're going to endure the storms that come our way is by building our life on, on the solid rock. And so trust in God with full assurance. Excuse me. <clears throat> and you'll be able to meet all of life's challenges with a greater sense of hope. And ultimately, the last thing I want to point out about godly confidence is that it will save your soul. Godly confidence will save your soul. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 through 20. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. This is God telling, it is a prophecy being retold of, that God gave in the, in the days of the Old Testament, telling them that the old covenant was going to be done away with, and he was going to usher in a new plan, and a new commandment, and a new covenant. He says, I will put my laws in their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for, from sin, for sin. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness. That's the word we've been talking about. Confidence, assuredness. You are 100% certain, and you can go to God with that certainty and enter into the holiest. Remember that place we talked about with the separated by the veil where God's presence is? You can have boldness to enter into that place. God has invited us into that place, into the holiest of all, by the blood of Jesus, he says by a new and a living way, which He consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. He gives us access and grants us access to Him through the faith that we have that's built on the Word that comes from the source. And because we have this hope, we look forward to a day where, where we will be renewed with Him. But it all starts here with us as far as our journey is concerned. He says, have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And so having godly confidence, trusting in the source, will ultimately save your soul. Because you can come to Him in confidence knowing that He will wash away your sins if you submit to His will through baptism, washing away your sins as the Bible gives us clear evidence and instruction of. Irrefutable evidence. And once we're washed by His blood, we can enter continually with boldness before His throne to ask for grace and for help in times of need. Every time we commit a sin, every time we feel like a failure, every time there's some kind of trouble, we have boldness because of the blood of Jesus gives us access to go into the holiest of all and be there in His presence and His safety and His security and His refuge. And He will place us on a solid rock. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.